0: The year was 1785, 5745, and Reblevi Levi Yitzchak had just come to Berdichev to be the rabbi of the community. It had been less than a week since he was there as the chief rabbi when three men knocked on his door, asking him to be a judge with a serious business problem that they had. This would be Reb Yitzchak of Berdichev's first case as a rabbinical judge in his new position as the chief rabbi. There was a wealthy merchant from the nearby town of Helmanik that had bought several barrels of honey to sell at the big fair in Berdichev. But just when he bought them, the price of honey drops sharply. And since he didn't want to lose any money, he went to a close friend of his, who he had known for many years and done a great deal of business with, and he asked him if he would be willing to store the honey until the price went back up again. And since they were old friends, the man in Berdichev said he'd be happy to store the honey. And since they had known each other for so long and done business for so many years together, they didn't write anything down. They didn't have any witnesses. They simply put the honey in the barrels in the basement of the man's house and went about their lives. Several years passed, and the price of honey remained low. So the man never needed to come to Berdichev to claim his barrels of honey. And they remained there in the cellar, untouched. No one paid any attention to them. And then more time went by. And the man who was holding the barrels of honey for his friend, the businessman who lived in Helmenik, he became ill and passed away. And it happened so quickly that he didn't have time to explain to his family about his business affairs and about the barrels of honey that were in the cellar. And a few years later, the price of honey finally went up and the merchant from Helmenick came by to pick up the barrels from the house of his deceased friend. Now he had known that his friend had passed away. And he knew that his sons had obviously inherited the house and the business and everything. But he assumed that his friend had told his sons that the barrels of honey in the cellar belonged to him and not to the father. But the sons had heard nothing about it from their father. And they refused to honor the merchant's claim from Helmanik. They tried to come to a conclusion, to an agreement, some negotiation, but they couldn't on their own. So they figured there's a new rabbi in Berdichev, Rebbe Yitzchak. They'll go to him and ask him to judge the case. Blevyitsa Kubedichev, he listened to the litigants carefully, and he knew the halacha was very clear. He knew that even if there had been witnesses or a signed document, the Torah stipulates that any claims against orphans, meaning children that inherited something from their parents and had no way of knowing what kind of business deal had been made before, the money can't be collected from them without first swearing an oath and swearing that one was telling the truth. But even then, There had to be some kind of documents or witnesses or something, and here there was nothing. And so Reb Levi Yitzchak knew that he had to rule against the merchant, who really owned the honey. But before he ruled, Reb Levi Yitzchak thought to himself, This is very strange. First of all, why, on his first days as the chief rabbi, would Hashem arrange for him, in his first judgment, something that was so straightforward and clear-cut, with no room for any compromise whatsoever? Reb Levi Yitzchak, in a judgment, always tried to come up with a compromise. And maybe he thought this was Hashem telling him, Here's a sign. You're not supposed to compromise all the time. It's clear-cut. Yes or no. And in this case, it's a no to one and yes to the other. The other thought Reb Levi Yitzchak, Eberdichev, had, that made him feel very uncomfortable, even more so than the first thought, was why would Hashem, who's the supernal judge, arrange that Reb Yitzchak's first ruling in this town would be considered bizarre by all of the Jews living there. After all, everyone knew the merchant from Helmenich. He was known as a very honest person and somebody who was already wealthy. He didn't need more money. He wasn't coming to just steal barrels of honey from these orphans. Everyone knew that he and the orphan's father were good friends, had done business for years, and they probably believed that the merchant truly owned the barrels of honey in the cellar. So why would Reb Levi Yitzchak be given a judgment where he would have to rule against what everyone else believed in? And for sure, the whole town would be paying attention because this was the first ruling given by their new rabbi. And everyone would be wondering, why would the Torah be the opposite of common sense? And why me and why now? And Reb Levi Yitzchak, he couldn't figure out what to do. And even though he knew the verdict, he couldn't bring himself to say it. He knew that there's the Torah law and there's what everybody else knows in common sense. And something is wrong here. And even though everyone was waiting for the judgment from Rebbe Yitzchak, he asked everyone to let him go to the corner of the room, put on his talis and daven for Hashem to send him the right decision. And about 30 seconds into Rebbe Yitzchak's meditation, the merchant from Helmenik, the owner of the honey, he jumped out of his seat. And he said, Rabbi, I remember. I remember, and he was so taken aback by his memory, and he felt that it was so important to share it with Reb Levi that he didn't mind interrupting him, even when he was in the midst of, of Dvekus, of being completely connected to Hashem at that moment. And the merchant goes over to Reb Levi and says, Kvodarav, honorable rabbi, please forgive me. While I was sitting here, I just remembered something. It's a memory from 53 years ago, when I was just 14 years old. Our father had passed away, and he left us a large inheritance and in cash and possessions. And one of the things that he left us was a storage room filled with barrels of wine and oil. And one day, the grandfather of these two young men, right here, that are with us now, their grandfather of blessed memory, he came to our home in Helmenich, and he said that the wine and oil were his, and that he had stored them with our father for safekeeping. My brothers and I, we were very young at the time, and we'd never been involved in any of our father's business affairs. We had no idea what was going on. And we didn't just want to give up the wine and the oil. I mean, it was our inheritance. So we went to the rabbi of the town, and we presented our case. And the rabbi, knowing the halacha, as I'm sure you do, rabbi, he said, there's nothing to be done. Nothing can be taken from an inheritance of orphans without absolute proof, witnesses, and an oath. And so we kept the wine and oil. And we sold it and made a lot of money. And what I just realized now is that the money that we received when we were boys for the wine and oil of these kids' grandfather was exactly the amount of money that my honey is worth now. My honey that's in their possession. And at that moment, Rebbe Levi face was shining because he knew this is why he had to wait before he gave the judgment. And so the merchant, he said... I concede the case. The boys can keep the honey, just like I was entitled to keep the wine and oil from their grandfather. So these boys are entitled to have my honey that are left with their father. And then it was clear to Reb Levi Yitzchak, Hashem, by divine providence, had presented him this case so early in his term of being the chief rabbi to teach him an important lesson. What seems obvious and common sense isn't always the truth, or even fair. Absolute truth only lies within the laws of the Torah. And Hashem never forgets the accounts in his book. Sometimes it might take 50 years. Sometimes it might take more. But one thing that we know is that Hashem is running the universe and constantly makes sure that in due time, justice is always done. I have one more short story for you. In the days of Reb Shmelke of Nikolsburg, there was a cruel decree against the Jews of the city, and so he and Reb Moshe Leib of Sassov set out for the imperial court in Vienna to try to get this decree nullified before it came into effect. And it was the time of year after winter that the ice on the Danube River was starting to melt, and no boatmen would dare to travel across the Danube for fear of one of these huge chunks of ice which would knock over the boat and drown them. But the two tzaddikim knew that they didn't have a lot of time. Soon the decree would be implemented. And so they found a boatman who had a rowboat, just barely big enough to hold them. And Reb Shmelke gave him a nice amount of money. And he got onto it with Reb Moshe Lev Sasov And they started singing the Song of the Sea. And they were singing the whole way, singing the praise and the thanks of the Jewish people as they crossed the Sea of Reeds, Yam Suf. And as they sang the words, Reb Shmelke and Reb Leb, the little boat glided easily between the blocks of ice. And they made it across without any problems whatsoever. On the other side of the river, the guards in the palace were watching this little tiny boat and the pieces of ice make way for it to come across the river. And they'd never seen anything like it in all the years that they had been guarding in the palace. Very quickly, word traveled to the Kaiser and his advisors, and they realized that these were no normal rabbis. These were very special Jews that were coming. And as soon as Reb Shmelke and Reb Moshe Lev presented themselves to the Kaiser, the Kaiser said, I know exactly why you're here, and your request is granted. I've nullified the decree against the Jews. The Jews of Nikolsburg have a tzaddik like you. I would be crazy to decree anything against them. And so, the Jews of Nicholsburg were allowed to live in peace. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. I want to thank two of the newest supporters of the podcast. The first is the Press Family of New Jersey. Thank you so much for your support. And the second, from really an unexpected place, Karthik Chaluri in India. That's quite amazing to me that I even have anyone in India listening to this podcast, yet alone sending a donation. So thank you to both of you, and thank you to everyone for listening. Please continue sharing the podcast with your friends. Make sure you leave me a comment, a like, a review, and I look forward to our next story together.